Year after year, one of the most consistent items on my do something list is to have fun with fashion. Exploring my personal style has added more joy to my everyday life and helped me feel more like myself on the regular. However, I have found that there are some brands I would love to explore more, but they are out of my typical price range. Or there's the it item that I would love to try out, but without the commitment of keeping it. Enter Armoire. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, you can build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new to you styles. I just did my quiz and have selected a few dresses for the summer from Bowdoin, one of my favorite brands that I can't typically afford. And I also got a double-breasted black blazer from a new-to-me designer, a classic item that I have been on the hunt for but too scared to commit to until I know it's the one. For you expecting mamas, for those who are working or those who are style-obsessed, who want to switch out your wardrobe with quality pieces without the designer prices, check out this woman-owned company that has your style and your sustainability in mind. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash progress. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash progress to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to About Progress. I am your host, Monica Packer, and I am here to teach you how to take back your life and dare to progress towards bettering yourself, honing your gifts, and using them for good in the world. Listen in to be inspired by others who are walking the same path of self-improvement paired with self-love, and to be a part of a community that knows life is about progress, not perfection. I have been through my fair share of things where I isolated myself from others. I mean, obviously with my eating disorders, I kept that secret for a long time. I've been on a few interviews lately for other podcasts that I'll be sharing in the near future where they say, oh, I'm so glad you're open about that. But the honest part of that is I never was open about it until recent years. Along with other issues I face, including things with my children or my face struggles I've had, I tend to draw inward and to not reach out to others. Now, I know many of you are like that too. Maybe that's your natural inclination to isolate yourself from others when you are struggling with something hard. But other times that decision to depend on others is out of your hands. Perhaps the trials you are facing might be due to others' choices in your life. Or maybe there's a whole number of reasons why you can't personally confide in others or make your trials more public so others can help you. 
My guest today is a therapist named Erin Shepard of Yarrow Therapy. She is here to talk about those of you who do struggle in silence. Whether it's by choice or not, she has an important message of how you can work through this. Now, she does have some advice about how to depend on others when you are able to and how to get out of the shame, shame-driven isolation that I tended to put myself in. But for those of you who are doing this more out of not having a choice, she has some really especially helpful things for you to hear today. I'm so grateful Erin would be on the show. Let's turn to our chat together. I am here with Erin Shepard. Hi, Erin. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, how about you introduce yourself to our listeners? Okay. Um, my name is Erin Shepard, and I am a licensed clinical social worker, and I focus on maternal mental health is kind of the overall umbrella. So anything mom-related falls under there. And, um, you know, just thank you so much for having me. I was really excited for this opportunity because it's kind of a unique way to be able to share and create understanding in a way that's um, a little less formal for me as a therapist. I can kind of tell a little bit of my personal story, too. And so Mm. thank you for this opportunity. No, I'm so glad you reached out to me, especially the topic that you volunteered, because it is something near and dear to my heart, um, as something I, I've experienced myself. And I think at some point in our lives, women will face what we're going to talk about. And today it's it's face, women who are facing struggles that they can't share openly for many reasons and some kind of way to say this or maybe some um, unspoken struggles or silent trials uh, that they are going through right now. What are these? Like, what is, what are we talking about? What are these uh, unspoken struggles that women face? So when I think of kind of unspoken trials, I kind of think of things that are maybe just a little bit just below the surface for whatever reason. Um, you know, it might be a hardship that caused in light of someone else's choices. And so by us sharing our pain and kind of our heartache, then, you know, we are sharing somebody else's private story Mm, and their mistakes. Um, You know, sometimes I think chronic conditions kind of fall under this, whether that's physical or emotional, you know, when you've dealt with anxiety for, you know, 10, 15 years, it just kind of becomes something that you're always struggling with, but is sort of just below the surface. Um, you know, things that make us isolated. I think those kind of become unspoken, even negative core beliefs, you know, things that we just carry with us that we're just constantly fighting every day, um, not to hold ourselves accountable for them or just to kind of let them rule our lives. Okay, I'm like writing all of those down. I feel like I can probably check off every single one of those things that you said there. It's 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 just amazing how it's so relatable to everybody. You know, even just like the isolation thing, it's not talking about things out of fear. I know when I went through some pretty significant struggles with my my faith, I kept those very very private and silent mm-hmm. out of fear of feeling isolated even more than I already 
felt at that time. So even that is, is something there. I know you've had experience um, with this in your own life. Can you kind of give us some background there and, and why this is so important to you, this, uh, this discussion we need to have on these unspoken trials? Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I was 24, um, so it was 2010, I had just had our first, our oldest, our daughter. And um, within the year of having her, I just started to get really sick. And I won't spend too much time on, you know, the illness part of it because I really want to spend the time on kind of that that hard time where you're just kind of struggling. But it was an autoimmune disease that just ravished my life. Now in remission, but there for a while, it was very touch and go. Um, I was non-responsive to any medication. And so there was just no way to alleviate what was happening inside my body. And um, my disease was attacking my digestive tract. So I wasn't absorbing any nutrition and that led to pretty much every major organ at one point or another selling or going toxic. And, um, at my weakest, I had like, I had to relearn to walk without assistance and I spent quite a bit of time in physical therapy and my goals were to be able to hold my two-year-old daughter and to be able to sit down on the ground and stand back up. Um, I wanted to be able to play with her on the floor and I couldn't get back up, uh, because I was so weak. So, uh, time went on and fortunately for me, I did kill, I am doing well, but it was a long, long road. And there was a time after I was really, really sick and we started to see stabilization, not necessarily improvement, but at least I wasn't going downhill anymore. And from that time, actual recovering into healing was probably the darkest time of the whole ordeal because I definitely felt I was in kind of this um, arena of these unspoken challenges. You know, on the outside, people were seeing improvements. I was becoming stronger. I was putting on weight. My hair was growing back. I was able to be more active. But inside, I was still fighting a war, like a a war was still raging in my heart and in my body. And Hmm. I was in a lot of pain and I was fearful. Yeah. And so, um, just during that time, I really came to understand, you know, just when we're struggling just below the surface, you know, it's not as bad as it could ever get, but yet it's still really hard day in and day out. Well, it seems like with chronic issues, especially, I mean, on the outside, there's like this almost 911 period where everybody is very hyper alert and aware of your struggles because um, they're so external. But when it turns into something that is like that in between phase of not being so externally um, recognizable, but like you're saying, completely all encompassing. And, and at that point too, it's like people just say, Oh, that's so-and-so. Oh, that's Erin. She's sick. Like mm-hmm. all yeah. the time. So yeah. they're not as like nine one one about it anymore either. It kind of puts you into this place of having to keep quiet. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And I think you want to feel better too. You know what I mean? Like mm. I, I didn't want to be the sick girl. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I didn't want to be the girl that, you know, you always had to watch her kid and, um, 
you know, it just, you wanted to be well, you wanted to do well, you wanted to be a part of your life and a part of your world. Oh, so hard. Okay. So there are many, like we said, there are many different ways that this can be applied to people who are listening. Um, why do you think, regardless of what the exact situation is for people who are going through these kind of unspoken periods of deep suffering or chronic suffering, um, why do they need to keep silent or why, why do they choose to keep silent and why do sometimes it, it needs to happen and other times maybe it doesn't, but they still choose to be silent? That is a really good question. And I'm going to just break that up by answering first kind of what, um, you know, keeps that unspoken. Mm-hmm. And then also, then I'll answer how and when we know we need to talk about it. Great. So I think sometimes what keeps it silent is it just, it flies under the radar. And a lot of this might be cult- cultural. You know, I always kind of think of the example of when a loved one passes away, kind of like you said with that, you know, it's that 911 alert. We know that those loved ones need our support and we rally around them and we take them meals and we check in on them. And culturally, we're very accepting of that process and, and we know how to care for one another. But barely that don't want to support you is that they don't necessarily know how. And, you know, so a good example of that might be um, having a loved one with a drug addiction, you know, and you, you never quite know how well they're doing or where they're at. And although your heart, ache, your heart aches for them, you know, and you want to support them, you don't really know how to ask. You know, you don't know how to ask how their brother or their son or their yeah. mom is doing. And mm-hmm. so I think culturally we just, we're more familiar with certain things. You know, I can talk to you about a time when I was really sick and that's, you know, it's, it's something that we're familiar with. We, we talk about that a lot, but there are other things that we tend not to talk about as much. And I don't know if it's just, it's, it's not as familiar or um, comfortable, but it's not wrong or shameful. It's just, there's not that support built around it to know what to do. Mm-hmm. That would probably be one way. I think also sometimes there's belief um, that, you know, for some reason we need to bear this on our own. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to be stronger. Um, saying things like, well, so-and-so has it worse, or I know it could be so much worse, so I'm just not going to bring it up. I think sometimes those beliefs keep us silent. And then also I think sometimes we just don't have language to describe those feelings. You know, I've, I've worked with women that expressed having severe anxiety around certain things. And it's not that they're ashamed of it or that they don't want to talk about it, but even just bringing up those subjects is so triggering that they're just not in a place to have that language to express that and share it. And then um, the second part of that is knowing when and how to speak up. And I think that that is probably something that, is extremely personal. Um, and I think it's something that requires some distance. And what I mean by that is I, I think sometimes we have to get to a certain place or far enough away from that raw pain that is involved to be able to say, oh, this is what I experienced. You know, I, I think you are a really good example of that. I think you, 
you've done a really good job opening up about struggles that you've had in the past. And I know there's sometimes when you describe things and I'm like, oh yeah, that's a really good way to describe that feeling. But until you've had that personal growth and kind of that, that distance emotionally from it, I think that that is a really hard thing to share and talk about. Well, and I know you're going to dig into this more, which will, will be really needed. Um, but, you know, I thought a lot of reasons I think um, can be rooted back to shame. Um, mm-hmm. Like you're saying, it could be cultural. It could be personal. It could be religious reasons. It could be because of the, someone else is involved with the problems. But um, shame is a huge factor there. Um, and like you're saying, a lot of times <laughs> you can't really be open about them until that shame has uh taken its exit or at least been uh, downplayed by strength in other ways. So for women who are listening, who maybe we can differentiate between the two, like maybe someone who, who could be open about it, um, but struggles with that shame factor of being more open. How do they know that it's time to step into some real help? And seeking, you know, professional help, but also familial and friendship support. And, mm-hmm. and how can they move forward with that? And then we'll talk about others who, for many reasons, um, don't have that option as much. Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing because I hear all the time people say, like, I knew I needed to hit rock bottom before I could, like, come in and see someone. Mm-hmm. And I always think, no, no, yeah. like, never. <laughs> don't hit rock bottom. Like, yeah. And that's, you know, I think that's a huge stigma that we all see. You know, we can't speak up about them. We can't let them be a real problem until like they are a huge problem. And so I think the first thing there is going to going back to shame is shame silences us, you know, shame, it isolates us Mm -hmm. and it kind of creates this cycle that, that locks us into thinking, you know, I really like Bernice Brown's definition of shame. And I, I think she says, you know, shame says that you are the problem. And when we are the problem, then we can't get help. You know, we can't survive. We don't, we don't deserve to have a solution for that. And so I think anytime you're locked into that would definitely be a red flag that, you know, that's a distorted thought and, um, seek comfort and support where you're comfortable. If that is going to someone professionally, privately, because then it isn't, you know, it is confidential, then do that. But if being able to kind of be a soundboard to a friend or to a family member or to a close loved one you can trust first, feel safer to you, then do that first. Um, Because I think good support involves both of those pieces. And they circle back to one another. And so I think that's kind of a personal question, you know, is where, where do I turn to? But recognizing that, that you can turn somewhere and you do need to turn somewhere. And no matter what, it will feel like a stretch. It doesn't mean like what's the easiest, <laughs> you know, that's it, not going to be easy to still reach right. out, but it's, it's, it's going to be reachable. It's going to be mm-hmm. doable to, you know, to yeah. some extent. It still requires some courage. Yeah. Okay, I like yeah. that. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Let's talk about that second group then, maybe the people who don't have that option to maybe at least be open to people they know very well. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just that very private struggle. And I think it's a good thing to point out that there's a difference between Secret and confidential. Okay. You know, secret, I think, are facilitators for shame. You know, they, okay. they keep that, that silent. They keep that kind of locked in and isolated. Um, now, when something's in confidence, I can trust you with that. And I know that I don't have to carry that all on my own, but that it's also something that's not going to, it's going to be respected. And so I think in this, you know, with these types of problems, we're kind of probably talking about carrying somebody else's choices. You know, somebody else made choices that severely impact us and, you know, cause us that pain. And so part of that is honoring and being respectful of them, but also having that healthy boundary there that they've made you a part of it and you need to be able to take care of yourself too. And part of that is healing for both of you. And part Mm -hmm. of that is forgiveness for both of you. And so you're not keeping somebody's secret in a way that's silencing you and isolating you. You are holding somebody's personal story and confidence. And I think that that also facilitates opportunities for you to heal as an individual and not have anger and resentment and all of these really hard emotions that build up on top of that. And so I think sometimes that that might be a situation where maybe a professional would be the right person to reach out to because in reaching out to a friend or a family member, if this is an individual that's close to you, chances are that's also their friend or family member. You know, and also I think part of that healing is is being open in that dialogue. You know, your consequence of making these choices has impacted me too. And this is the part I need to be able to talk to somebody about. Yeah. And, you know, if you feel like they deserve to know the person that you're going to, um, you can give them that option. But I think that that's kind of where that separates is that you need healing on your own. Mm -hmm. And if that means having to tell that story, that means having to tell that story. Uh, but there's a big difference in doing it in confidence um, versus keeping it a secret. 
Yeah. And what's nice sometimes about things like this is I'm doing it to someone like you, a therapist, like legally, it does have to be confidential. Um, So there is some security Mm -hmm. there. I mean, not some. I mean, there's an immense amount of security there and knowing that it is safe. It's a safe place to share. And I love that differentiation you made between secret and confidentiality. That's really, really great. You know, I'm thinking about some some a lot of women I know struggle with anxiety, um, depression is another common thing, and I I think on those chronic levels where they come and go fairly often, you know, in a regular year cycle, um, that's one of those things that we struggle being open about because of many reasons. Maybe one, we don't want to be a burden to people, even if it's the people closest to us in our lives, like our our spouses or our parents or our siblings or good friends, but Hey, I'm having a hard time again because you don't want to worry them or you don't want to make them feel like they have to save you. Another thing is maybe you don't want saving, (laughs) you know, you don't want someone to try to swoop in and control, um, you getting better. Um, but you know, on top of the stigma, there's some other reasons there. What can women, uh, like that who are in struggling in those ways do, uh, to help with this, what can be like a chronic suffering. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of something that I think quite a bit about. And there's a quote by uh, Van Gogh, actually. And he says, great things are done by a series of small things brought Mm. together. And, you know, sometimes when I see women that have struggled with these things, you know, for decades, their whole adult life, and every member they have, Every memory they have is is kind of tinted with, um, you know, chronic anxiety or depression. Mm. I just see those women and there is no one stronger in this world than people that deal with that kind of stuff constantly. And I notice with them, they have such a strength of really basic self-care skills or really healthy living habits. And I think it's because of all of those small things brought together. And that's so hard for them to feel like they've made any improvement or to see any relief. But then when you step back and you break down like their daily rituals of how, you know, they fall asleep or how they go out in public or how they can take care of their families. I'm always in awe at just the very basic principles they have. And so sometimes I think, you know, the best advice I can give is just don't worry so much about the results, you know, but really be able to um, recognize for yourself those constant things that are brought together that keep you going. And that's the self-care piece that people can sometimes get wrong just thinking, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't you know, ignore my family's needs. I can't ignore work. I have, you know, I can't just do whatever I want because it helps me feel good. That's not the self-care. It's, it's what you're talking about. It's those small steps that really in time do make a difference. You know, I'm thinking about myself with my eating disorder recovery. It's been over 12 years now, which is so crazy to me because sometimes I really think I have made like I'm back at square one, you know, it just right. it feels so frustrating when you look around and you think this is still controlling my entire life. And, mm-hmm. but in those moments, it is when I do look back and I see, no, you are a different person. And it's mm-hmm. taken 12 years of really small 
changes to become this different person. Yeah. I really like the example of like tempered glass, right? Like it just becomes so strong because it's a constant pressure and, you know, going back and through that process over and over again, like it just, it strengthens us. You know, I remember when I was really sick during this time when I wanted to be healing, I really did. I, I wanted to be recovering and, um, I was still really sick. I still had really, really bad days. And, um, I started kind of playing a game in my head where I would think of three things that I wanted to get done. And I would put a lot of thought into what three things would make the biggest difference in how I would feel. And because I, I didn't have a lot of energy. And so I would really think like, okay, like is a shower most important today or is like vacuuming? Mm-hmm. And I would really think about that. Like which yeah. one's going to make me feel better. And so I put a lot of thought into my three things. And if I got those three things done, I would be like, yes, I can move on. I can come up with three more things. And I love that. Some days I wouldn't think how that memory is so fresh on my mind, but yet I still am so discouraged when I go to bed now because I think of all the things I didn't get done. And <laughs> yeah. there's just not that like constant, um, intentional practice there. And in some ways I miss that because mm-hmm. It was so gratifying because it was so valuable. Especially, I mean, I'm thinking about the goal that you said originally when you were working on your strength again, just to be able to hold your daughter. I mean, how simple is that? And but how monumental was that for you? Yeah. And, you know, I don't I don't take that for granted. But then at the same time, like when you have to take two trips in with all of the groceries. I'm like annoyed because <laughs> yes. it, it took me too much time. Right. Yes. And so I think sometimes when we're dealing with those unspoken things for a long period of time, I think sometimes we think, Oh, I'm still struggling with this. I'm not strong enough. Mm. When yet in reality, I think sometimes that takes so much more strength on, on every plane, like physical, emotional, spiritual, because we really have to dig deep and take care of ourselves on all of those areas just to be getting by okay so true all right I I'm wondering you you must have personal experience with this with chronic illness or uh, chronic mental illness as many people experience um or maybe long-lasting issues that are in their families that they have to deal with fear is something I want to talk about when you are worried about the next round Maybe if you are scared of your health failing or you're scared of the next round of depression or you're scared of getting back in bad habits again and going down a dark path. Or maybe you're scared of someone making um, the wrong decisions again that have affected you in the past. How do we live our lives with looking and moving forward and not dwelling on the fear that can come with these struggles? Yeah. And that fear can almost be overwhelming at times because it is so real. And now it's, it's not just a fear. You've experienced it. You know what that loss is like, you know, what that hurts, how it feels and what it looks like in your life. And so Mm. I think that that is a very real component. And I think sometimes the most important thing is, um, to acknowledge that, but to also be able to look at what strength that provides us that we can do it. You know, we did do it before. And, um, you know, one thing that I always kind of talk to clients about is check the facts. 
you know, check the facts when that fear kind of comes up, acknowledge it. It's not bad. It's not wrong. It's not a sign that anything is going to happen. Check the facts. So for me, checking my facts would be like, okay, well, you know, I'm taking my medication. I'm seeing my doctors. I'm doing the blood work. Like they will catch anything if it comes up. And because I have experienced this before, I will be better off at listening to my body. Um, Those are my facts that I can run through. And then I can kind of know where I need to go from there. And so I think being able to check the things that you know are helping you um, with your eating disorder, there's probably habits that you have in place that you do to kind of be protective factors for you. Yeah. You know, sometimes we focus so much on the risk factors because we're afraid of those, but risk factors aren't the problem. They're just that one side of the boundary, you know, yep. if you kind of think of like a bowling alley, you've got a bumper on each side, you've got risk factors and you've got protective factors. And if mm. you're that ball, like you've just got to kind of stay in, in the middle of those two things. And, and not letting that fear be, be a negative thing that, you know, just paralyzes you and frightens you. Yeah, because it can, I mean, fear can become some of those protective things we put in place and I don't think they work as well. Like for me, if, if, if I'm being so hard on myself to, um, to like take a deep breath, like after her, after I'm done eating or something, you know, whatever, when those emotions come Mm in, if I'm doing that out of fear, it's a whole lot different than doing it out of strength and still acknowledging like, of course you're afraid because you had years of this being a really hard thing for you. And so let's take Mm -hmm. a breath and like get back into your strength again, instead of it being like, calm down, here it comes. Like (laughs) it's it's a different feeling. Okay. Yeah. So helpful. Erin, before, before um, we wrap this up, can you tell people where to find you? Because I love, I, this has been so helpful for me, and I know it's going to be so helpful for so, so many. Um, so where can people find you if they want to learn more? So uh, my practice name is Yarrow Therapy, and Yarrow actually comes from when I was really sick. Um, we looked at every doctor we could possibly find, and I did a lot with, you know, traditional treatments and also with holistic treatments. So we went to one doctor and he prescribed me yarrow. And so I'd always just kind of been fascinated with the root a little bit. And then I learned that um, its real name is actually related back to Achilles because it said that he take he would take yarrow root into battle and he would use it to put in his wounds and his soldier's wounds because it stopped bleeding and it increased healing. And as soon as oh. I heard that story... I knew I had the name for my practice because, you know, if there's anything that I hope I can do for emotional wellness and, and moms and their mental health is to be able to, you know, stop that emotional bleeding and to be able to increase healing. So my website, charotherapy.com, and I am licensed in Utah, so I can only see clients in Utah. Um, in terms of with insurance. Yep. Well, in terms of, of practice, so okay, practice when you're a okay. licensed therapist, yeah, it's different than like life coaching or that type of thing, but I am on social media and I do try to constantly be posting like really deep content and tips that, you know, you can just kind of scroll through and kind of get that, that emotional feed food that you need um, to kind of carry on. So I am on Instagram and Facebook and that's also a Yarrow Therapy. 
Well, I'll make sure to link to all of those. Erin, thank you so much again for reaching out to me and for volunteering this amazing topic I never would have come up with on my own. You're so talented, and I know this is going to help as many people as are are listening. It it, it applies to all of us. So thank you again, Erin, for being here. And thank you. Thank you for everything that, that you're doing. So you've definitely taught me a lot too. Um, I love living, listening to your podcast and I'm just really honored to be a part of it. Thank you. This particular interview was something that I hadn't given a lot of thought to why I had isolated myself during the times I needed the most. And Aaron was able to speak to that a lot and also give me the encouragement moving forward to not do that. And when I can't, to still work on myself in ways that are going to really benefit me through a very difficult time. I hope you found this helpful too. If you know someone who is battling a really private trial, I would encourage you to send this to them. Email it to them, text them the link. And if you want to share it on social media, make sure you tag me at About Progress. Now on a different note, We are approaching my two-year anniversary, mid-November. This is something I am so, so thrilled about. I have two big goals for that anniversary. I want to reach 500 reviews and 500,000 downloads. We are fast approaching the 500,000 downloads thanks to you and you sharing this podcast far and wide, privately and publicly. So first, a big thank you and a plea to continue doing that. Second, if you've listened to any of the podcast episodes and just want to leave a quick rating and review, that would thrill me. It's so easy if you have an iPhone, but you can also do it on your desktop on iTunes. I'd be so, so appreciative of that, friends. Thank you very, very much for being here. I love this podcast and I love being here each and every week. I'll see you next week for another great episode. And until then, remember life is about progress, not perfection. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.